Hello, and welcome to Stream It, the podcast where we explore movies. Old favorites, new favorites, and every so often movies we love just a little bit less. This is Season 5, Episode 6, and today we are going to be talking about Roma from 2018. As always, my name is Zachary Ortz, and this week, just like each week preceding this week, I am joined by my good buddy, and uh, sometimes the help, Matthew Watkins. Hey, Matty, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Awesome. It's been it's been a little while f- for us since we uh since we got together to do one of these little shindigs. So, I hope I remember how to talk. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. It's a we were off for winter break um and we're coming back in the start of a new year, 2023, and talking about movies again, but because of that, it's been a little bit of a while, a little while since we had an opportunity to to chat. Yeah, and I even forgot that I had to do a bit for this season, so midway through my uh, intro, I, like, stumbled to figure out some some sort of thing to refer to you by. So this one's pretty bad. I'll have a better one for next week. Well, I forgot that you were doing the bit as well, and so I was like, wait, what does he mean by the help? Oh, wait, no, that's the bit. Oh, well, it's too late now, so. No, it's a great bit. Um, what can I say? Yeah, there we go. It's great. It, it, it most likely is going to be a season five only bit. But maybe I can come up with a different bit for for each ensuing season. I don't know. I'm so excited. So let's talk. I mean, this movie's from 2018. Let's talk a little bit about our personal history with this. Had you seen this before? What did... I actually don't even remember if you had seen it before watching it for the show. Yeah, I did see this one. Um, I saw it shortly after it released in 2018. Uh, Though, I'm pretty sure... Yes, I did see it during 2018. But it released on, I think, the 14th of December. Um, is that accurate? Yes. And so I didn't watch it until after Christmas. So in that like week between Christmas and the New Year, while I was on winter vacation, I was cramming in a whole bunch of movies. That's when I watched this one in 2018. So roughly, you know, th- five years, four years at this point. Yeah, four years at this point, I ended up watching it. Cool. Yeah. So (laughs) not only had I not seen this movie, eagle, eagle eared listeners, (laughs) I guess eagle eyed listeners doesn't really make a ton of sense, but uh, (laughs) the we'll realize that at the end of our last episode, I said that it had won best picture, which uh, if you looked it up, or you just remember what won Best Picture in 2018, you know that it did not win Best Picture. And the reason I messed that up was because I confused this show with Argo, or confused this movie with Argo, which I believe did win Best Picture in 2012. And that's because both of the movies, I had no idea what they were about, other than that they were critically acclaimed and had received Oscar play. And they're both four letters, and they both have the same two vowels in their name. So I don't know why my brain works the way it does, but I did confuse the two movies. So I really didn't know at all what <laughs> what I was getting myself in for for this one. Yeah, and Argo, a very different movie, the uh, Ben Affleck spy thriller uh, film. Um, well, also... now I know. <laughs> a dramatically worse movie like the fact that that movie won best picture is just wild to me 
um it's it does not hold up well either so i don't know that's weird uh this one's great though uh, i guess Roma, i guess Roma, i Roma's did know because i looked it up so many times just to make sure i was going to watch the correct movie i did know that i was getting myself into a movie that was going to be subtitled so i did know that going in and i also knew that uh I knew that there was some amount of the movie that was going to be in black and white, but I didn't know for sure whether it was entirely black and white or whether there was color or not. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. And I think when I watched it in 2018, it's uh, I basically knew that as well, though, since I speak Spanish, it was um, the subtitle experience is very different for me. Um, mm, yeah. And it's, it was kind of a weird experience with this one, actually. But we, we can talk about the when we get to the watching part but yeah not a ton of experience with this one i only ever saw it once but i loved it the time that i saw it and it was near the top of my films for 2018 and so when i saw that we were doing netflix this is basically out of the netflix original releases i think my favorite one out of all of them so i really wanted to make sure to cover it got it yeah that makes sense and i didn't even realize it was a netflix original release when i when i watched it so that was and i guess we'll get into it but there has been a little bit of controversy like it was there were some shots taken at this movie for even being eligible for academy awards because it was Mm -hmm. released direct to streaming which uh in a post-covid world seems well in a world after we have experienced COVID and experienced a pandemic shutdown feels like bananas to think about, but I, yeah, I guess it happened and I don't recall that controversy happening. So I don't know. I just wasn't plugged in. I remember that controversy really well, actually. Um, And that's one of the, one of the main reasons why I wanted to watch it because it was getting all this Oscar buzz, uh, but so much like people were so dramatic about dramatic about all of it and it changed the way that netflix was releasing their films because they like you know got some theaters so they could do theater releases for things for like a week and all that kind of stuff and i don't know that that's part of why another reason why i think the justification for this film it's a really good one as far as film history because it's right at a flashpoint of the quality of streaming films and the argument for them uh, when it comes to award seasons, like it was the 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 leading edge of that argument and uh, a really big deal in that regard. So for a show about streaming films, I mean, it's a perfect one for us to cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, ha- I have no defense for my justification for picking this film because I thought it was a different film. So, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> although it is always nice to pick films that are critically acclaimed and sort of get them off your list of shame as it were Mm -hmm. should we talk a little bit about the time period here yeah let's do it yeah we've got uh two different time periods to talk about because we have not a ton to talk about but we can talk a little bit about the year that this movie takes place or the couple of years that this movie takes place in 1970 and 71 and it is a period piece and it's uh you know uh it covers a lot of like historical events so covering the time period i feel is pretty useful here yeah and the only thing that i wanted to talk about from 1970 just because uh it is 
Somewhat surprisingly relevant to this movie is, do you know what happened on October 27th, 1970? I have no idea. The concept album for a pretty now famous musical was released, and it was a huge deal, and that is Jesus Christ Superstar by Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. This was not his first show because him and Tim Rice had written Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat before this, but it didn't make sort of the, it wasn't the cultural sensation the way that Jesus Christ Superstar was. I mean, this album was immensely popular, partly because like the recording is great. I don't know how well you know this album. Do you know I it? I don't know it very well at all. Yeah, I mean, I'm I familiar mean, with it, but I don't. I don't know the album very much at all. It rips. Like it. I I listen to it um, at least once a year because I listen to it on Easter because I'm a weirdo. But it. I mean, the vocal performances are just absolutely astounding. The rock band absolutely rocks, which is not really something you expect from something that's musical theater inclined. And then, of course. It is the story of Jesus Christ, but told rather sympathetically from the point of view, or at least a good portion of it is through the eyes of Judas, which, of course, uh, as you can imagine, in 1970, created some some amount of uh, controversy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's, that's the main reason why, uh, I am not very familiar with it is like, it was not allowed, um, in, in my house or, you know, like (laughs) town (laughs) for those exact reasons. Though, um, Joseph is like beloved in these like small town Mormon communities. It is very, very well loved one. So, uh, I have seen Joseph like, I don't even know how many times, like 20 or 30 times. Um, but yeah, it's a funny thing. Jesus Christ Superstar. Both both Jesus Christ Superstar and Joseph are both fairly irreverent. Um, it's just oh, yeah. Joseph is irreverent in a way that feels respectful. And Superstar is irreverent in a way that feels like a couple middle fingers. And honestly, I'm not 100% sure that it was even intentional for Superstar. I think... It was just a couple of kids who, you know, didn't... Well, and I guess it was really Tim Rice. Like, he's the one who did the lyrics. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't... I haven't read this anywhere, but I'm not sure that they 100% knew the kind of pushback they were going to get. I should look it up. If if I look it up and get some more information, I'll... I'll uh, maybe in an addendum in a later episode, I'll let people know. The next time we cover 2018, we'll be like, oh, and by the way, remember what we said about Jesus Christ Superstar? It was <laughs> yeah. all wrong. So, <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, yeah, cool. That's interesting. Talking about the next time we cover 2018, I did want to mention where this falls in our stream at timeline. Uh, this is the third movie that we're covering from 2018. So the first one, or, well, the first one chronologically was Crazy Rich Asians, which came out in August of this of 2018. And then we also covered Free Solo in our first season, if we have any really long-time listeners, which was in September of this year. And then I think as makes sense, like we've done a lot of... Our movies are more densely packed in the recent releases. Uh, then our next yeah. movie isn't until October of 2019, which was Parasite. 
Yeah, and I think that makes 2018 our most covered year so far. Oh, I didn't look that uh, up, but that would not surprise me. Yeah, so. Although, uh, yeah. with next week, we'll get our third movie from 2022. Oh, no, because Dune was 2021, right? Um, I believe yeah. so, yes. Yeah, so I think RRR is just our second movie from 2022. No, it'll be our third because we have uh, Crush, the Sea Beast. And <gasps> I forgot about Crush. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so Nice. Yeah. Look at that. Whew. Uh, but then when any... we record our retrospective, we'll crush all of it because then we'll cover like 100 movies from 2022. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so with that, with that said, we've covered a lot of the historical events from 2018. Yeah. So it was hard to find things that were like relevant that we had not talked about. Um, I did find a couple of things that I thought were worth pointing out, and they are Mexico-specific. There was a lot going on in Mexico that year. There was a presidential election that was going on, and it was a pretty tumultuous, like a pretty important presidential election. So there was this guy, AMLO, that won. I don't know if, you, if you've heard of AMLO before. Uh, no, I have not. So he's, he's called AMLO, but his name is Andres Manuel López Obrador. Um, so yep. initials AMLO, um, and he was voted in as the president that year, which was a pretty big deal. I mean, he was seen as a very, um, for one thing in the U S it was a big deal because he was very like anti-Trump, um, mm. and very, uh, kind of against, against all of that, even though pretty much all the candidates, uh, for president in Mexico were, but he was kind of the most. And, but what made it even more of a big deal is that he was he's was representing the uh, Morena political party, which is kind of like a it's hard to put uh, politics from Mexico directly onto politics from the U.S. because it doesn't translate over exactly correctly. But mm-hmm. kind of a, a more far left populist kind of party, a little bit more of like a socialist party than uh, than beforehand. And like this is after decades of like far right-wing candidates continually kind of being successful in in mexico so it was a pretty big deal and that ties in with the events that are in this film and like it's it they are they are reflecting back on each other like uh, alfonso cuadron is commenting on modern politics in the film like on purpose and mm. by talking about the older politics so it's it's really interesting from that perspective and so yeah it was it was a pretty big uh, a pretty big deal and then you know covid-19 happened and it turned into you know <laughs> just craziness um though you know he's still president but you know, i don't know who what will happen afterwards because covid threw everything into chaos so there you go there you go yeah um did you have anything else you wanted to talk about for current events for 2018 I do because I looked back through my timeline of what was going on in social media from when I watched this film in 2018. Yeah. And so on the 22nd of December, uh, which would have been like four or five days before I ended up watching this film, there was the vote on the build the wall um thing in the house with uh, donald trump's whole build the wall thing yeah and then the u.s government shut down do you remember that shutdown i do remember that shutdown like what was it like a month and a half something like that 
over the build wall vote. And so that's what was going on. The government was completely shut down. Well, not completely. It was like 90% shut down in the U.S. because of Donald Trump's big old vanity wall that he wanted to build. And so that's what I was thinking about when I watched this film. Uh, because, like, it was everywhere. And that's a, that's an issue that, you know, literally, like, the, the day that I watched this one, uh, going back in my in my social media, I was also posted things like, if you build a wall, we'll tear it down, that kind of stuff. So yeah. that's the kind of stuff that I was thinking about when this movie came out. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. So it's interesting. It came out at a really um, part- particular time and a timely release with on that regard as well. Yeah. The thing that I wanted to talk about from 2018, so we... Yeah, I th- I think we'd run down the the big movies from this year before uh, on a couple of the other podcasts we talked about. But for people who don't remember, this is the Infinity War year. This is Black Panther. A <laughs> good year for Marvel. Uh, there was a Jurassic Park movie this year. This was mm-hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody, Aquaman, Venom, the... Which Mission Impossible is this? I guess the most recent, right? Mission Impossible Fallout. And then mini stream at Crossover, we had Deadpool 2 as well, which um, we obviously covered the first Deadpool and then talked a little bit about the second Deadpool in there. But what I really wanted to talk about was the Academy Award lineup for this year and how Roma did at the Academy Awards because it absolutely crushed. It got uh, 10 nominations and three wins or probably four wins yeah or yeah three wins i think so it got a win for cinematography and director alfonso Cuaron got that and then as normally happens when a foreign language film does this well at the academy awards it also won best foreign language film even if it was was not able to win the win the best picture and then it was also nominated in sound editing sound mixing uh cleo got a nomination for uh best actress which as we'll mention briefly is pretty astounding because it was a debut performance for her and then this was the honestly the of the not a super strong showing in the in the best picture category for this year so oh my uh, gosh yes <laughs> sorry but oh the best pictures i listen i was very frustrated with um that whole year but continue sorry yep th- this was a frustrating year this was sort of in the midst of a lot of the oscar oscars so white controversy it had started yes. i don't remember which year selma was um a couple years before this i guess so it had been building for for a little while uh but anyway so green book won best picture this year but then black panther obviously was nominated the only marvel best picture nomination that they've received and then Bohemian Rhapsody was nominated. Rami Malek won that year for Best Actor and several other movies. I don't have to run down the entire list, but Black Klansman, Star is Born, Vice, The Favorite. I guess that's all of them. So, because it wasn't a full 10 that year. So, yeah. And like, 
know. It was a very frustrating year because Green Book is, uh, you know, it has a lot of issues with its depictions of race and all those kinds of things. And it was up against Black Panther and Black uh, Klansmen. And that um, handled those issues dramatically better. Uh, And not only that, but Green Book won on its supposed, you know, treatment of race. Like, that's the kind of narrative that was going into it as it won. I don't know. It was very frustrating. People were very unhappy with that. And as you said, Oscar So White had been going for two years at that point. And I don't know. It was very... I I watched enough of this to turn it off in rage, that Oscar ceremony. Mm. So I probably yeah. didn't watch it. Um, yeah i was so uh, excited for roma and getting so many nominations that i was watching like for this movie roma and then like i just i got very frustrated turned it off uh and stormed away from my computer and walked into my yard and did some cursing uh and then went and probably played some video games or something afterwards i don't know cool yeah so (laughs) there's that experience too all right, let's talk a little bit about uh, the personnel and stats for this. This is going to be a little quicker because there's not a ton of people to talk about for this movie. Yeah, As you not. mentioned, this is uh, December 14th, 2018. This movie came out and budget's a little, or I guess the budget isn't nebulous, but the these stats are a little more nebulous than they ordinarily would. So what do we got going on here? Yeah, the budget for this film was $15 million, which for the way that it looks is incredibly cheap just very very low budget it looks like it's you know like a 50 60 70 million dollar movie and a big part of that is that it's made um entirely in mexico with you know they're paying less for labor that they are getting there so there's some uh, ethical issues involved with that but uh seeing as how alfonso Cuaron is so heavily involved in mexican cinema and is such an important part of it and making sure that people there were working and getting paid uh, relatively well compared to the projects they were on. I think that it's good overall, but there's still, you know, thorny ethical issues there. Um, and also you don't have any stars, really. Right. Like you're, yeah. you don't have to break the bank on any any actor names. The closest thing to a star is uh, Marina de Tavira, who plays the mom um and mm. sofia and she's um been a staple of uh mexican cinema for about like 15 or 16 years something like that and she's very good she she was excellent here and she also teaches uh acting in uh i can't remember un- which university but in mexico so uh, other than that yeah there's the uh, everybody here is not major stars and uh, almost none of them have even Wikipedia pages, for example. Um, not that that's the the gold standard, but it's just an example of the kinds of um, they they don't have a lot of other credits for their names. And yeah. yeah, I mean, they pulled off a lot with the money that they put in. And as far as what it brought in, it wasn't like the a huge hit for Netflix. Not like some of their other originals that they've made that have driven a lot of subscribers and things like that. The It made $5 million in the box office, which for only being released for one week with uh, in a very limited setting is actually very good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then overall, I was reading through an article that was comparing it with a bunch of different things and then running some regressions and analysis to try and figure out a comparative amount of money that it probably would have made. And the guess is that it probably would have turned out about $20 million in the theater. So it would have brought back about its budget and marketing budget and about broken even, essentially. So as far as the financial success for Netflix, I don't think it was that tremendous, but... The reputational rewards that Netflix got for this film were so tremendous that I think the that it does translate into a huge amount of monetary awards for them going forward, especially because so many more directors and actors were willing to come work for Netflix doing like artistic films in order to drive viewership that way. So I think that Netflix sees this film as a resounding success and that it achieved every goal that they wanted to accomplish. Yeah, I would imagine so. And this was, I mean, they had been doing, they'd been doing television that had been making plays at Grammys for, for a while now. I think that started in what, 2013? Um, I, I think that's right, but I don't, I'm not sure. But this was, and their first original movie release was in 2015, but this was the first time I remember there being like serious Oscar buzz about it, which doesn't mean it didn't happen before, but it was just like scrolling through the list of titles. I don't see anything else that really broke through before this. Yeah, there are things that people were like, this should be nominated, but nothing that like, like, a lot of film buffs were really rallying behind and arguing for unlike Roma which I mean as soon as people saw it it was seen as like a shoe in for best cinematography at least yeah should we who who do you want to talk about here <laughs> yeah so like we often have on stream it I wanted to talk about the cinematographer um, hmm, curious it just so happens that on this film, the cinematographer and the director are the same person. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron was the director for this film, and he was the cinematographer. He was doing all the behind-the-camera work, as well as directing the entire film. Unbelievable. Like, unbelievable accomplishment, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it's... I, I hope people will agree when they when they watch this one. Uh, it's the cinematography on this film is out of this world it's one of the best shot movies that i have ever seen let alone like that year it is it just looks phenomenal and you can tell it's going to from the very first scene right when it pops up which we'll talk about but it's just a beautiful gorgeous film and the craft that went into the images was so much work and the other thing that's worth mentioning is this was a very personal piece for Alfonso Cuaron. Um, mm-hmm. And he's he normally has a cinematographer that he's working with. This is it, It's not normal for him to do all of this work on his own. But because it was so personal and so important to him, he, he did all of that work and was behind the camera and got all of that done. And he's a very cinematographic director in the first place. And so it's clear that he has, I mean, he has, doing this film, he has some of the best skills in the industry in this. And then he just is also directing most of the time. 
Yeah, and we'll get into it as well, but there's also a really deft directorial hand, I think, at work here to get so many of these shots with... Mm-hmm. I don't. I almost said unskilled, which would have been very rude, but inexperienced actors, because mm-hmm. I don't think there is a lack of skill from them. I think the performances that are turned in here are extremely skilled. Yes, they're the if from everybody in the everybody in the picture delivers top notch performances, and almost all of them have little to no acting experience. It's phenomenal, and not only that. But several of the main characters that show up a lot in the film are kids. And yeah. that is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. I think so. We talked a little bit on both the Inside Lou and Davis episode and then our couple of Spielberg episodes that the two of them sort of traded which director I have seen the most movies by as I and they sort of kept leapfrogging each other. But I'm pretty sure that Alfonso Coron has, at least on stream, it has the highest percentage of his filmography that I've seen because he only has eight movies, mm-hmm. uh, at least on his his Wikipedia page as main directorial features. And I've seen 50% of them. I've seen half of them. So he has a little princess. The ones that I've seen are a little princess from 1995. He has what in my opinion is the good Harry Potter movie. The third one, Harry Potter and the prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. I think Um, that's a, a pretty solid. I mean, I think that's a pretty uncontroversial opinion. Yeah, well, I don't. I haven't seen past four, so I don't know. But I've seen um, them all. Um, I think number three is the best, though. I think there's some solid entries at the very end of the uh, very end of the saga. But um, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, I think, is in a different class from all the other films. That's what I remember feeling like when I saw that one. I was like pretty okay about the first two. Like it was a fun thing to go see them. But then when I saw the third one, I was like, oh, this is a real movie like this is a real it became a movie for movie's sake rather than just trying to get onto film what was on the page of the book yeah yeah that's that i i would agree with that for if people want to see another argument that goes in depth on this there is a great video by mikey newman movies with mikey about harry potter prisoner of azkaban and he makes the argument in there that that film was one of the major pieces that set the stage for the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the way that you built a universe and brought in different kinds of directors to work with a singular story, but from different kinds of visions. So, oh, um, interesting! Excellent video. I think that people would love it and talks about that film. So, okay, yeah, I'll I'll throw that in the in the show notes. And then I saw Gravity from 2013, and then now I've seen Roma from from 2018 and similarly to you um out of his movies i have seen i have seen four of them and the four are different though uh, because i saw harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban i also saw children of men and gravity and roma and children of men listen folks is that is a great great film clive owen um set in a world where it's a like a post-apocalyptic near future world where human beings are for some reason are unable to have children 
and I don't know, it's really it's really good. It really out shines the premise. Like not that that premise is terrible or anything like it's fine, uh, but the film is much better than what it might sound like or what you kind of get the concept of by looking at trailers or something like that. It's incredible performances. Clive Owen, uh, Julianne Moore, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and incredible cinematography. Highly recommend checking that one out. And then Gravity, the TV that I currently have, I bought in 2013 because uh, I moved into Las Vegas and we had our new place and we had like no furniture or anything and we didn't have a TV. And I was like, you know what? I want to buy a TV to put into here. So (laughs) I bought the TV and then I was, we weren't all in town to move into the place right away. And I was commuting to work like an hour to do that. And so that day I was like, I'm just going to go and sleep in this apartment, like on the floor because then I won't have to commute to work the next day. And I had the TV in there and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and buy a new movie and turn it on and and see what this is like. And the movie I bought was Gravity. So it was the mo- first movie that I watched on that film. And holy smokes, for a way to test out your, your new television, no that kidding, one sure doesn't huh? work. Yeah. Yeah. That is a... I mean, honestly, I remember seeing it and really liking it. I don't know if it's like... In retrospect, I like I just don't remember if it's a movie I'd necessarily recommend or not. I remember it being extremely intense. Uh, yeah, and uh, very stressful. Like it's so takes you into the film so much, and it doesn't let up. Like there's no yeah for the whole film. It's just it's so much stress through the entire thing. Great film, but a hard one to watch just on a lark. Yeah. Uh. Do you want to say anything else about Alfonso Cuaron? The only other thing that I want to say is there was, when this movie came out and was in the Oscars, I think this was, was it the third year in a row or the second of three years where the winner of Best Director was a Mexican director with Alfonso Cuaron and Guillermo del Toro and I can't remember, uh, I can't remember the other, but it was... There was a lot of people talking about at this time that these directors were having such an impact on cinema and were doing s- such new and dramatic things. And honestly, it really hasn't stopped. You, Neither of them really made any movies in between that time period until this year with Pinocchio that Guillermo del Toro was involved in. And that movie is getting a lot of awards buzz. They continually turn in incredible films and i don't know uh we'll see what if alfonso Cuaron ends up making something else but he he's really really good um so the one that you're forgetting there was damien chazelle was in the middle with uh la la land which i'm sure we all remember but the year before that was the revenant with alejandro inarito yes inarito yes Exactly. That's that's the one that I was thinking of. So the only other person I wanted to talk about again, because there's not not a ton of other people here, was I did want to mention Participant Media and their founder, Jeffrey Jeffrey Skoll. So Jeffrey Skoll was the first president of eBay, made a ton of money. And then, and I guess you probably could say with uh, mixed results, made a... There are highs and lows, I guess I'll say that, made a 
um, company, Participant Media, with the goal of making films that would spur social change. So among some of those films, you have stuff like Roma and Moonlight. Moonlight, right? Nope. I'm not Spotlight. sure. I'm, I am no, looking Mo- this up no. because I have never heard no. of the company before. Moonlight, Moonlight was someone else. Spotlight. Okay. Gotcha. Um, from, but then there's also <laughs> Roma. What Roma lost to, they also did Green Book, <laughs> and but the, and then there's also movies that are definitely have merit to them, like Lincoln, but also have a lot of criticism for how they portray Lincoln as a slave owner and the. There's not a lot of women in that story, and there probably should have been, and there should have been a little defter hand with, um, yeah, with slavery in there. So, yeah, so I think it's an interesting, certainly a good goal to create a movie studio that wants to do that. Probably not 100% success rate, but it also gave us films like Roma, so it's a a little hard to... Um, and also Judas and the Black Messiah came out, came from them. And then this year they had All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which I have not seen yet, but is on on my list to, to watch. You haven't watched that one yet, right? No, I haven't watched that one yet, but it's no. on so, my list as well. I mean, they've done extremely well. They have like over 100 films, 73 total Academy Award nominations, have won 18 total, including those two best pictures, Green Book and Spotlight, so... So I'm just looking them up because I didn't know any, I didn't know this, but some of the films on their list, they have like The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, which I loved. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Um, they have American Factory, which is a, um, it is a documentary and it's really, really good. Uh, a very, a very good documentary that I highly recommend. They have as well other ones that I have seen. Um, I saw Spotlight, uh, which I liked a lot. There's Beasts of No Nation, which is one of the hardest films that I have ever watched. It's about oh, child soldiers. I didn't um, see that was them. And yeah. yeah, it's a it's a great film, but it is a very very hard film to watch. And there was another one on this list that I had seen that really stood out to me. Oh, they did do the help, which was not so good. Um, right. So, yeah. I mean, as I yeah. as I said, like. He's a white guy, and so there's going to be, yeah, there's yeah. going to be oversights, especially probably when he hires white guys. Yeah, for sure. So, I don't know. There's some on here that just are real standouts, though. So, I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's uh, I'm glad that I know about them. I can keep my eye out for what they're doing and whatnot. Oh, the other one was Good Night and Good Luck, which is one of their earlier ones, which is a phenomenal film. Highly recommend. Just like... Uh, I love it so, so much. That is a very dear one to my heart. And it is about the... It is about Edward R. Murrow during the Joseph McCarthy hearings and all of those things. And mm. I highly recommend that film. Yeah. Did you have anyone else you wanted to talk about here? That's it for me. All right. So our, our last thing is this is any advice or insight that we think might help someone out if they're watching this movie for the first time so there's a couple obvious things which we mentioned already like make sure you know that you're going into a movie with subtitles make sure you know you're going to a movie that's black and white um like you just gotta 
this isn't going to be a fast-paced thriller so you got to make sure that you're in a place to watch a movie that's going to be a little slower a movie where a, a frame of mind where you're willing to like look at the artistry and the craft and appreciate something like that and then i think the biggest thing that probably would have helped me was knowing and you sort of can figure it out about halfway through the film i think it's pretty obvious but know that you're going into an autobiographical story and i feel like we've gotten a good amount of obviously the autobiographical films that are close to people's hearts is not a new genre of movie but it feels like we've gotten a lot of them lately we had Belfast last year we had Hand of God last year we had we have the Fablemans this year and I just saw Almost Famous on Broadway. <laughs> uh, obviously, that movie's from 2000. But uh, so it feels like this is something that like is kind of zeitgeisty right now. I don't know if I tried to look it up, and it feels like there have been a lot more recently. Like you can find them peppered all along. But I don't know if that's just because the ones that were a little less good didn't pop as much. But it does feel weird that, or it feels a little standouty that we had. Roma in 2018, and then Belfast, which was nominated for Best Picture last year, or I guess in 2021, and then The Fablemans, which uh, hasn't yet been nominated for Best Picture, but at least at the time of recording, but the I would be shocked if by the time we've released this episode, it has not been nominated for Best Picture, and just won the Golden Globe this week, so... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, that's one that was definitely in my mind. And then another smaller one that probably people aren't familiar with, but that I loved immensely, is a documentary called Director by Night about uh, Michael Giacchino and his uh, his oh. work doing the werewolf by night but it takes it's it's not your normal behind the scenes kind of thing it's very much like an artistic documentary by his brother that goes into it it go it does this same kind of thing so and it's excellent so people should watch it because it was really good and i don't think that most people did yeah and i think the we'll talk we can talk about it this a little bit in the back half but i think the thing that that really helps to think about when you're watching autobiographical movies is that if you don't recognize that that's what you're doing there's frequently weight given to moments or sections in that movie that feel like if you were just watching a normal movie a non-autobiographical movie a fictionalized movie they feel like they're supposed to have dramatic weight but in an autobiographical movie they have they tend to have emotional weight which is a is a pretty big difference in terms of your expectations yeah i would agree with that there's a lot of things that are that would not fly in your typically plotted movie um yeah you know like your typical like save the cat and script or something like that right Um, um go ahead oh i did you have anything other than content warnings that you wanted to mention here um I don't think I have anything other than content warnings. Um, like okay. you said, it's black and white movie. It's in subtitles. Watch it. It looks really good. You want to watch it on a, on like a, a, the best quality screen you can. 
you're just not going to get the same kind of feeling off of this from watching it on your phone. Uh, not that it, like I'm against that in any way. If that's what you got, then that's what you got. But it is worth watching on the best screen that you can watch it. Yeah. And I don't know if this should go here or not. I hope this isn't too spoilery. Let, let me know if it is and I won't do this again. But there are some really, really stunning oneers in this movie. And if that is not something that you're... I feel like I had to train myself to be able to see those. So if that's not something that you're like calibrated to notice, keep an eye out for them because it really does help appreciate the craft of this movie, I think. It's also a stylistic... Um, what's the word... Uh, a common thread through Alfonso Cuarón's movies. Uh, oh, is that true? I don't yeah. recall that from from the other. As I said, I recently I think learned how to pick up on those sorts of. He's things, got so. a, a, some that are like simulated um, one shots in or oneers in Gravity, but it's Children of Men has two incredibly iconic ones um, that kind of define the the like when people talk about them. Those are the two that get brought up on that. So, yeah, yeah makes sense and then the so we we haven't been super fastidious about doing this but just so people know in the future we will any content warnings that we have to do we will always put them at the very end of this section because if it's something that you're sensitive to we want you to be able to know it going in we don't want a movie to be ruined for you because we didn't give people that content warning, but also I'm sensitive that like some people might not want to know what sort of content they're going into. So if that's the type of, like if you aren't bothered by that sort of stuff and you don't want to know, you have an opportunity to turn the podcast off here. But otherwise, yeah. What what did you want to give here, Maddie? Yeah, so there's one big one, but there's, there's a, a little bit of like um, nudity and violence in this film, but those aren't the major plot specific things are even like a huge deal but the big one no but is... the the nudity is uh fairly graphic even if it's not explicit it's so not it, sexual like, um it's but not it's, sexual yeah yeah it is like very full frontal and like if the if you are not ready to see a very full frontal uh naked man doing martial arts in front of you um yeah. with all of the dangling bits that's you know that comes as a bit of a shock and you probably don't want to watch it with kids in the room for that no section. no before you watch it with your kids or <laughs> no before you watch it with your parents if that's something that also true would yes. make you also uncomfortable true. uh also true but like i said it, it doesn't feel i don't know that scene doesn't feel uh like graphic in any way it's just graphic's not the right word it's very explicit but it's it doesn't feel sexual at all so um yeah the other one though there's a bigger one and this one got a lot of controversy when it came out there is a very traumatic baby birth scene in the film that is um i think the word to describe it is hyper realistic like it's very realistic in the way it's depicted and it does not spare anything in its depiction um yeah and so there was the it's just there are a lot of people um in a lot of articles afterwards that talked about that they wish they'd had a trigger warning for that scene i think it's pretty useful to have one there and you know it's 
for me, uh, it was kind of a lot because when my daughter was born, it was a bit of a traumatic birth. She was fine afterwards, but the time period through, through it and the first few days afterwards were pretty uh, massive and pretty traumatic and very difficult to deal with. Um, and the situation of like, um, uh, you know, having the struggle to get a baby breathing is uh, part of what's depicted here. And that was very hard for me. So watching it, I would have appreciated that trigger warning, but it, it didn't upset me too much to see it. But when I watched it the second time, I had to, I couldn't watch it. I had to skip that part. So um, it it's worth knowing before going in. Yeah. Shall we take a break? Let's go. All right. We'll take a break and we'll see you to spoil this whole movie. All right. Welcome back. Let's talk a little bit about Roma. I guess I'll go first since I was the one who watched this for the first time. I'm pretty curious how my reaction to this movie lines up with yours because I think the way I responded to it was intentional, but I I guess I'm not 100% sure. So I found it, I guess I found, I mean, I loved this movie. Like I, there is no part of me that did not love this movie. I loved the experience of watching it, but I did find the, probably the first like, 80% of the movie pretty clinical and I felt like the movie really kept me at arm's length and I feel like that was an intentional choice. I feel like the way he used so much of the filming of this movie is with the camera in a static location as it sort of pans around and the action comes in and out of the frame and it doesn't really it requires you to know where you're looking at and i it, it seemed pretty obvious to me i know you did more research on this than i did it seemed pretty obvious to me that it was it felt like the camera was a stand-in for cleo that it was supposed to make you feel the way she did where you were removed from the situation and you were always observing and always trying to figure out the best way to sort of tiptoe around and the best way into the scene without ever being intrusive. And then it's not until that birth scene that we talked about where you finally really get some close-ups and you get close-ups on Cleo where then it finally just becomes emotional. And then it was pretty emotional for me, basically from there through the beach scene, both of which we'll talk about. And then, yeah, then I was pretty exhausted at the end of the movie because it was, it felt like I was just like intellectual, 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 and then boom, emotion. Yeah. Um Yes. Sorry, I know that was a lot. Yes. <laughs> no, no, didn't... it's good because you should have seen. You should have seen like if we'd had the camera on, you would have seen. I was thrilled listening to to hear you say this because 
like that's exactly what he was doing and this is like on the making of that's what he was going for like that is a thesis of what he was trying to line out he was using these methods to make it seem much more objective and looking at the perspective of Cleo and trying to work her way into the, the situation exactly the way that you're describing and then the pace that it's going and the way that she gets kind of embraced into the family after the birth scene. All of that is intentional. That's all on purpose. And the way that he used the camera techniques was all deliberate to achieve those exact exact things. So, yeah, like, whew. Uh, nothing to add. You you outlined uh, exactly what the what the what the director was going for in the film. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like maybe a year ago. I don't think I would have had this experience watching this movie. But I just like I don't know. I felt like I got it. I felt like even though I had no idea where the movie was going, and how could you? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just felt like I was like in sync with what he was trying there are a couple questions i have for you um Mm -hmm. there are a lot of questions that i have that are just like how the hell did they get this on film that we'll talk about but yeah how did it uh before we get into that though how did it hit you on a second viewing how did it hit you five years later i think my first viewing was basically similar to to yours and then my second viewing was different like a bit different because I already knew that was coming. And so it's like the camera is kind of guiding you through the scene in this very particular way. But after having seen it the first time, I felt liberated from the point of view of the camera um, Mm. to pay attention to things that, that the camera was leaving on the screen, but not making the focus. Uh, And it seemed clear to me that this is again, what the director was trying to do is he's guiding you in the in the focus, but also he uses a really wide format with a lot of like very a lot of focus, so you can see all these other things that are going on. So you get so much more depth on a rewatch on this film. So I enjoyed it on a different level this time than I enjoyed it the first time. It's one of those things where like a lot of those shots feel so much like watching a stage play. And that is the experience that like oneers will give you. And that is the advantage of, of doing oneers is you really feel the work of the actors. You never, you don't feel the work of the director as much, but there's also so much in this movie that you could just never do on stage. And so it is really a nice like thesis for, why why film like it's one of those things that's just like yes this is unique to this art form yeah and uh, alfonso Cuarón, his his the thing he says at the end there's a documentary called the road to roma where he goes through the making of this film and the thing that he says at the very end is that this is the first film that he's made where he feels like he really made a film and he's made some really good films, but like he, he and he clarifies like this is the first film that I've made that I feel like I'm really making something that is doing like that I'm really proud of and that is saying what I really wanted it to say. And so yeah. I don't know. I find that fascinating. I mean that that makes sense to me. Everything in this movie is so deliberate, and it yeah, it feels like kind of kind of adventurous because you have to do 
like it it is putting so much work on you to focus yourself on what's going on and like or on yourself to direct your focus in the correct place and on rewatch i like on the scenes that i rewatched there are so many times that i was able to pick up on it's a static image and it take it or a static shot and it sort of takes you five seconds or so it takes you a little bit of time to be like oh there's the characters that we're supposed to be looking at Mm -hmm. and it's like right at the moment where you're like how long are we going to sit on this image and then it's like oh we haven't been sitting on this image i just like didn't find it in time you know or i didn't it took me a little bit of time to figure out where i was looking and it was a cool experience the first time watching it and then also a cool experience when i rewatched those couple scenes i agree um the only like real trouble with it is that it's a film that really benefits from multiple rewatches but also Mm -hmm. but it's a hard watch it's a really hard watch yeah so um i haven't gone back and watched it and i don't know that i'm gonna go back and watch it again for a while because the content is is so um you know so strong um it's so it takes some sitting down and really uh, it's emotional and it's difficult and the form as well like you said it requires you to put in the effort and sustained effort it's not something you can just turn on the background so i don't know it's a it's a very uh, cinematic and artistic piece of art it's not one that you can watch in generally any situation it's really hard to rate those as far as like how good they are obviously the technical uh, work and the the artistry that was put into it is incredible it's hard to figure out where that ranks next to something that you just really enjoy because it's just fun and you know exciting and all of those things yeah should we talk about some the scenes that we had pulled here yeah for sure let's do it yeah so we are going to talk about the opening scene but this time it wasn't me who picked it so yeah what as, do you got here for as us? As soon as I turned on this movie and on this rewatch and the opening scene started, I was like, we got to talk about this one. It's such an interesting, fat, fascinating opening, but also nothing happens in the opening scene for quite a while. Um, and so when you say, what, which uh, opening scene are we talking about here? So the main opening scene that I want to talk to, and we can go a little bit past it to some of the other things, because there, the, there's a few like openings that it goes with. But the main thing for me is, as the movie is just barely starting, it has like the title and whatnot. It starts with this focus on just yeah. the floor of this. It's just a tile floor that you're seeing. Uh, we learn later on that it's the tile floor of a small garage that is built into this uh, into this building. And what we're seeing is this, at first you're just looking at the tile and then this water starts kind of pouring across it. And the these bubbles cut, start coming across and you see this very clear reflection of the sky in the water that is then periodically broken up by water and, and bubbles coming down from across the screen and washing it out the ripples come and then it's clear again and then it's getting washed and then you see some like sponges or brushes that are going across this and cleaning it up and that's basically how the movie starts and it goes on for quite a while i don't know how long it is uh i do because i yeah i i checked 
What, it feels I, like several minutes, but I, I I'm betting that it's a bit shorter, but it feels it feels long. Well, I guess it depends on what you mean by how long is it. The the first camera cut, so the first time the this opening continuous shot is five minutes and twenty seconds. Oh wow, it's that long? I mean it it's feels very long, long, but it's if it it feels that long, but it is that long. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a long shot. Well, and then what happens at the end of it, and this is where I was hoping you sort of know what happened here, is at the end you get a reflection of a plane flying uh-huh. over. which ha- And I was like, how, th- how the hell did they do that? Is that plane animation? No, um, that plane is a miniature. Um, that plane is a, a... Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so they they had a miniature plane that goes overhead, and that's one of the things that he talks about is how how much he remembers as a kid uh, listening to the planes flying over Mexico City and looking up at the sky mm. and watching them fly by, and so that was like one of the major images that he wanted to put into the film. So yeah, that's how they did it: is they had a miniature and they have the sound going of the plane as it goes by, as someone is manipulating that miniature to kind of they've got it on like a wire and they move it across. And, yeah, that yeah. that makes sense. I mean, it still seems because the problem with doing a <laughs> five minute and twenty second oneer is it's all with water. So I, yeah. I'm pretty sure there's just nowhere you can cheat that. Like you gotta just have that camera. You gotta like you can't direct water. You know, you can rehearse it. You can try and figure it out, but like. Do you have any sense of how many takes of this they did? Um, yes, they did it in one take. Um, it's only one. Uh, they filmed it once. They on- they filmed it once. They filmed it once. And they were just like, oh, yeah, got it. <laughs> I yeah. guess we mopped that water perfectly. Yeah, exactly. They, they filmed no it one way. time. They set it all up beforehand, and he had like a very clear idea of what was going to go on with it. And he descri- it's so interesting to watch him direct this scene because in the behind the scenes, they show the entire direction of this scene. And uh, it's the only scene that you get, like, they show the entire filming of it, like the whole five minutes of mm-hmm. it. And he sits down with them, or he doesn't sit down. He's just like going through and explaining to people. And he explains exactly the image that he wants. Uh, and having seen it, you're like, that's, that's, that's what's on screen. Like, it's just exactly what he's describing to them now. And I, I know that that doesn't seem so remarkable, but it's the image is fully formed in his head of what it is that he wants. He's describing it does down... seem remarkable mm-hmm. to me because I can't imagine being lucky enough to get the water to look how you want it to look on the first try. Yeah. Um, It just (laughs) seems bananas to me. I don't know. So one of the main things that he wanted that he talks about is that you have the tile that's on the ground, which is like the real floor that's there. Uh, And then the water is coming across and giving it the illusion. This is what he's explaining before they'd make the shoot, by the way, the water comes across and because it's so still and it's just the right thickness, it creates the reflection of like a mirror that's up above and you're seeing the sky up above. And because of that, you're getting an illusion of something entirely else that's coming off of the reflection of the water. 
And uh, that's kind of what he was trying to do as a metaphor for the film, working as like a metaphor of the reality that's like underneath of it and what in the, the, the experience of going through the memory of making the film and shooting the shot mm-hmm. is like looking at your memories, but you're really seeing like a reflection of the memories off of the things that you are doing. I don't know if that makes sense. It does make sense. And that, so that is not something that I intellectually was able to figure out, but it is something that worked on me emotionally because I had so little idea what sort of movie I was getting into other than knowing that it was going to be in Mexico and black and white that I really did spend this five minutes and 20 seconds like trying to figure out what I was looking at and as the picture like gradually came into view before it finally clicked into place and so it really was like a pretty I mean it is long and there are credits going on but it really was a pretty fun discovery sort of like when you're doing a puzzle and you get to see the picture like slowly come into focus for me yes yeah and again this is all this is he literally like it says these are the things that he's going for that it's like a picture that's slowly coming into focus and he to the point of as he describes it he's like okay we're gonna have the water in and there's just this amount of like dirt that's gonna be coming in through it and so, yeah. the, and Jeez. you're going to have like the, the frame is going to be divided between what's clear and what's the dirt. And that's gradually going to mix. And you're going to have the bubbles coming in. And he describes like the soap and the bubbles and how it will come down uh, almost like a curtain, almost like in a movie theater, the curtain, the curtain coming down. And he just describes all of that beforehand. And then they just do it. Um, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, Gotta love those water tacks, huh? Uh, yeah. And it's just, it's just a couple of people with squeegees. I mean, that's all they're doing. They're just, they got a couple of squeegees and they're just pushing it over towards there. Um, and he's like outlining for them. He's like, okay, now you push in this direction. And they like push and he's like, okay, now come from this angle. And that's how he's <laughs> directing it as it's going. Wow. Yeah, but it's, the, the image was just fully formed in his head. He posted it at the camera and it filmed exactly what was in his head. It's, it's incredible. Um, that's why this movie won Best Cinematography, um, is because of things like that. Now, that's not to say that, uh, uh, a lot of the, um, shots in this film were done with many, many, many takes. Uh, this was not one of them, but a lot of them were. I mean, there, there's just no way they couldn't be. Like, yeah. those oneers are so complicated. Yeah, yeah. So, like, 60, 70 takes some of these, uh, yeah. later on in the film. Yeah. Um, it's not surprising. I'm, I was curious as you were watching it. Did you know, like, what kind? Like, did you know that you were in a garage as this was going on, and that it was mopping it up like that? Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think I even, I don't think I realized it was a garage until we even saw like the car, the point. car, the car come in. Okay. Um, and I was pretty curious, like where we where we were i think so after after this you get the shot like i think it's behind this or like further in uh further in past the driveway mm-hmm. where you finally get to see like cleo outside cleo right i'm saying the right name yes right? cleo yeah cleo outside where she's like hanging the the cho- hanging the laundry and uncovering the birds and dealing with the dog 
So what is it? Go ahead, sir. Oh, I was going to say, you know what it honestly reminded me of is Parasite because of how Mm -hmm. meticulously both with the water imagery, but also how uh, how the house was laid out and how well how good a job they did of establishing the geography of the house and letting you know what kind of space you were in so that it felt like you knew exactly where you were at any given moment you know what's wild about the house though is was it not real no i mean it's a recreation of his house growing up oh really well i mean that's why it was so specific then yeah it's that's exactly why it's just like down to the, the furniture that's in the house is the furniture from his house. Like they went and gathered up all the pieces that they could find from like family members and all that stuff and put the furniture back in and what they couldn't find, they went and found replicas or made replicas of um, (laughs) the furniture. So, and the layout is exactly the same as his house growing up down to like, you know, the garage that goes through and the area in the back and the like, like servant rooms and then how it goes up on top and all that, those things. That's all is just a replica of, his house growing up yeah yeah cool which is wild it's a so for me it was a really interesting experience because like as soon as that water comes was coming down i knew exactly what it was because i was so familiar with garages exactly like that when i was living in chile there's so many garages oh sure kind of like mosaic mosaic tiles to them and the way that they are is that you'll, you'll have them, like, right next to the house and the gate, the, exactly like it is in this movie, with, like, the wall in between. Uh, and they're made small because they're made for, like, Volkswagens because they were made for cars that were smaller when these were put into place. And then they're open above, so it, they, it doesn't have a ceiling. So you might remember, like, where the hail is coming down and whatnot coming to, down onto there. And so as soon as they were going, like, I remembered I lived in a, a place while I was there that had a garage like that. And I had to clean and squeegee it. And so as soon as I saw it, I was like, I mean, I wasn't sure, but I was like, that looks like, it looks like a, like a tile garage that they're squeegeeing off. And then it was, and it just, that was a very surreal, uh, a very surreal moment for me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So basically opposite uh experiences there that's why i wanted to ask you about it because i was like this has has got to be like a very specific memory to people that have been in that kind of uh in that kind of garage yeah (laughs) funny yeah so um and then you have like a couple of things that happen after this because it goes around it pans up and you see like the garage you see the quarters in the back and then it kind of brings you in through the house and i can't remember the order that it does all of these things but as you said it takes a very like objective look and kind of pans very slowly across all of the things that it does to establish the the set and that's kind of the way this open this movie opens i don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to to cover with the opening of the film no no that that was it but it does that first shot i guess there's an outside shot of her where you see her like preparing for the day but i think it's that first shot in the house where i it feels like the camera is about in the center of the room that really establishes like the tone of the entire movie because she what's so interesting and it feels a little off-putting at first is 
the way she moves around the room is not at the same pace that the camera moves around the room. Right. And so it really creates this disconnected feeling of between the viewer and the action that is happening. Yeah, it feels almost like almost like like a nanny cam or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah. The, the mm-hmm. camera is set up and it's going to do its own thing. And then she's moving kind of through different parts of it. Uh, like you are spying on uh, these events as they're, they are happening. But since you have no control over the camera and it's not following uh, the actors and showing us like close up of close ups of their faces, you feel it has a very voyeuristic feel to it. Yeah. I think the next scene we have is yours as well. So what what do we got there? Yeah. So the next thing uh, the next thing is the scene where the dad leaves, and just to set up a couple of things, you have this moment in the garage as well that I just wanted to to use. Oh segue man, I have that written down. Where yeah. <laughs> the dad pulls into the garage in this massive car, and. It spends, I mean, that one's got to be five minutes as well. Uh, where he's, I didn't write down the time, but yeah. It is long, and he's trying to pull into this garage, and it does not fit. Like, it is, he has to get in inch perfect, and the, the mirrors don't even fit all the way in the garage, and this car is so big. And he's backing in and backing out and, like, moving forward and moving, uh, just, like, trying to move inch perfect to get this car into the garage. Well, and the first, the first shot of it is, like... I think it's like just below eye level yes of the the head beams so yes. treating the the head beams as eyes it's like just below there looking up and it creates such an imposing picture mm-hmm. of this car that for a moment I was like are we like is this Christine like what are we <laughs> what are we doing here and for me it worked so well because it set the dad up to be so imposing and so scary. And then uh, once he's inside, he's like so jovial and so friendly. Right? And there yeah. wasn't any of that at all. And he's Which I think tiny. brings us to what you wanted to talk about here. Yeah. Um, the dad is small and he's like, uh, uh, I, I mean, he's not like dramatically small, but he seems like a soft, friendly. Like if I met that guy on the street, I'd be like, what a nice guy. He, he yeah. doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem that he doesn't seem that aggressive or anything like that. It's only from this perspective that's like looking up at this car and, uh, you know, him driving in. And you get so many shots of like him just like his lips holding and the cigarette going into them or his hand on the gear shift. All of these kinds of things as he's going in. It really gives that impression of a small child being like terrified of this man and how big he is and it's not until we see him from a different perspective they're like oh he's not but that childlike perspective we know that there is that this relationship is not as um uh like it has more issues and problems than what the objective part of the camera is really telling us yeah and it it is such um that section where he's pulling into the garage is such a stark departure in terms of the um the filming style of it Mm -hmm. like all of a sudden we are gone from these long extended faraway shots instead it is just like a bunch of really quick close-ups on as you said like on his cigarette or on the mirrors or on the car moving like one inch this way 
or I guess there's also the gear shift as well, right? Yeah. Or the All tires going things. over the little dog poops and those kinds of yep. things, which you're mm-hmm. stressed about. You're like, oh, don't roll over that, right? And so yep. um, all of those kinds of things. And this car really gets, like, connected to the dad. And then we later find out, found out, find out that the dad is, like, supposed to be doing this, like, residency in Canada. He's a doctor, and so he's, like, supposed to be up there for some amount of time, uh, like, two weeks or something like that. And you're like, that's weird, what's going on with that and then he ends up like going out to the car to leave and doing all of these things it's not until all the pieces come together later that you realize that he's just like leaving his family for good and yeah. completely abandoning them i mean i feel like a lot of people piece that together and i kind of piece that together as it was happening but i feel like the the kids don't know that and i feel like the camera doesn't know that if that makes sense yeah um, and the it it almost feels like the camera is because i think the first time i got a sense like he might not come back was the um when she's i think it's after cleo finds out that she's pregnant mm-hmm. and they go to the doctor and you get that one line from from the mom from the wife that's like you got to talk to him he's got to come back yeah and that and but it's again it's not in close-up so it feels like you're observing it it feels like it's like uh like, like you're overhearing it yeah yeah like <laughs> like they do in the office a lot of the times you right know? yeah it does feel like that like and it's almost like you're hearing it from cleo's perspective like oh i heard something i wasn't supposed to hear and i know what's going on but i shouldn't really say anything because it's not my business that kind of thing that's going on yeah so the scene in particular though that i want to talk about is there's this scene where and it's a this one's pretty short they have the the volkswagen packed outside and the dad has like his stuff and he puts the the suitcases like in the car and whatnot and he's going out to leave and the kids are like watching him and sophia the mom she comes over and like gives him a hug and he has this it's not that he doesn't accept it but he's not like he doesn't embrace her back and she gives him the hug from behind and then he gets in the car and he drives away um which is a pretty simple scene on the face of it is it do you also get the marching band at the end of this yes as well? you also have the marching the, yeah. band yeah so and that's kind of the whole scene I'm curious what you thought of this. I have I have thoughts from watching the documentary about it, but I'm curious what your thoughts are before I jump into those things. Oh, yeah. So I think I definitely didn't realize at this point that he was leaving never to come back, which I think is as intended because the yeah. kids don't know yet. And I think she doesn't know yet, right? Because he has a line where he's like, it's only two weeks. Yes, but that's when she then gives him this hug that looks so desperate, like she's clinging on to him. So yeah, I think she so th- knows. Watching it back the second time, I think she knows at that moment. Got it. Yeah, I think this is this was the first because I think what happened to me in the viewing was I had that ominous moment with the car in the driveway, and then you get that scene of them watching the movie at home. Yes. And you get a little bit of dialogue where he's, like, annoyed with Cleo, annoyed with, you know, he says there's dog shit all over the place or, Mm -hmm. um, but, 
So you ride this wave of like, oh no, dad is bad. And then you get this sense of like, well, everything's okay, except maybe he doesn't like Cleo. And then this is the moment where you're like, oh no, something's actually wrong here. Yeah. Uh, um, the, the, this is actually not a particularly happy marriage at this point. There is some sort of strife. Yes, and it feels like the kids and the camera are picking up just that there's something wrong, but aren't exactly mm-hmm. sure what. Yeah. And so it's not until later that you get the clues and you're like, oh, okay, I, I see what's happening. And that that's the last moment that he sees his family. Like, he's gone forever at that point. Um, yeah. So from the making of this thing... Alfonso Caron, he puts this all together, and the street that they're on is the same street that he grew up on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but it didn't look exactly the same when they went there, so they've recreated the entire thing. They rebuilt the entire street. Down Jeez. to the cars that he remembered on the street. Yeah. So they put all those cards and all those things that they remembered. They got a car that was identical to the one that his dad went into. The casting for this, like, the main thing they did was... The first step they did was they uh, narrowed it down on pictures of people that looked like his family members. So this was like, the kid looks like him. The mom looks like his mom. The dad looks like his dad. They're getting into a car that looks exactly the same. They're, they're in a house that's meticulous down to, like, the same detail with the same furniture. It's the exact same street with all the exact same cars. Uh, and he's trying to direct the scene, and he's like, I just felt really grumpy, and I couldn't figure out why. And I was mad, and I was, like, snipping at people, and I decided I needed to go for a walk. Um, and I went for a walk, and I was like, why am I upset at this scene? And then he walked a little while, and he's like, obviously, I'm upset because this was the moment my dad left my family and abandoned us. Yeah. And... Uh, everything's the same and i'm mad at my dad like i'm not mad at anyone the shoot is going well everyone's doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing and i'm mad at my dad and i don't know how to direct that and so what he says which i mean that makes sense so what he did is he just went for a walk and then he came back and he was trying to direct the dad and explain to him how he felt and he's like okay so what you want to do is she's giving you the hug and you feel like you're suffocating and you feel like mm-hmm. you're drowning and you're trying not to give off that impression and you're trying to hold it together, but you just are desperate and you cannot do this anymore. And as soon as she lets go and you get in the car, you breathe. And that's the first time you've been able to breathe in years. And then you drive off. Um, so what he says is that after he did that and they directed the scene, he realized that by making the film, he had for the first time in his life looked at his dad from his dad's point of view and understood, like, not not let him off the hook, but understood why he made the decision that he made and why he did what he did. Yeah, understanding in yeah. this situation is different from forgiveness. Right, exactly. And putting himself in the perspective, because as he says, like, this is, I'm making, at this point I'm making a movie and as the director, I have to have the perspective of all of my characters. I can't, I right. can't, I can't be, you know, I can't favor one or the other. I have to get completely into his head. And so shooting that scene for him was really cathartic because of that. And I don't know, it's really interesting watching it back with that knowledge 
and looking at that scene really makes the impact of that scene a lot different. Uh, it just hits different, especially like even on my second watch, because uh, I knew that he was leaving like that. That's the last time that he shows up. And I had remembered that from watching. It's just a different experience the day that your dad, you know, says he's going out to the to the corner to get some milk and never comes back. And that was that moment. And he's capturing it on film. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. It's a lot. That's what I've got for that scene. Oh, is that all? That's just, all. Yeah. <laughs> just a little, uh, a little directorial therapy. Yeah, exactly. So, it's it's a rough one. Okay, so we can talk about the the next scene that I wanted to talk about. This is so. Mostly, I want to talk about the birthing scene here. Yes. Um, but before that, we it happened. Her Cleo's water breaks in the midst of um, some civil <laughs> unrest that is happening. And I yes. know we we sort of went back and forth on whether to talk about the historical aspect in the front, front half of the show or whether to talk about it here. But we ultimately decided to do it here because it's a little spoilery. So I'll let you do that first before I talk about the rest of the scene. Yeah, so the, it takes place, and you don't realize this is what's happening, but there's stuff going on in the background. It really reminded me of the oh now i forget the name of it the one we watched that's on the train with the zombies um uh train to busan train to busan it really reminded me of that how there's so much going on that if you're watching closely you see the situation developing but you're just when you watch the first time you're just focused on cleo and her experiences and the event that they are showing is a an incredibly accurate like down to the photographic details of the Alconazo, or uh, what's known in English as the Corpus Christi uh, Massacre. Um, mm. So this is an event that happened in 1971, and you had a dictatorial government that was in charge of Mexico for, for decades. And in the previous couple of years to this there was a little bit of a softening of the dictatorship and in response to that the university students in in mexico were um kind of filling that vacuum with a lot of protests and a lot of demands for uh just a lot of changes throughout a lot of society in Mexico at the time period, but particularly in regard to the dictatorial government. Um, and these kinds of things were developing over time, and there was a protest that was happening with these students, and then a paramilitary group called Los Alcones, meaning the Hawks, was put in the middle of that situation, and then they took out sticks, bamboo sticks, started beating the students. And then when they were getting the resistance from them, they went back, pulled out weapons, guns, and started shooting students. And there were over 100 people that were killed in this. 120 protesters were killed, uh, including a 14-year-old boy. Um, and it starts off what's called, uh, or it's near the beginning and kind of is a lot of the what's called the dirty war, La Guerra Sucia. Um, mm -hmm. And... It's also set up throughout the rest of the film. Los Alcones is this group, this paramilitary group that Fermin was training with. And they were trained by the CIA. I don't know if you caught that part. 
Uh, no, I did not. Yeah, so they're trained by the CIA because mm. um, the the this was part Jeez. of the Cold War. <laughs> um, the U.S. was worried they were allied with the dictator, and they were worried about a socialist takeover of the country. And so well, can't trust the socialists. Uh, so so they sense. put in the training on these guys in like martial arts and all that stuff. And the, and these are um, mm. the they're taking a lot of like poor people and indigenous people and then training them as this paramilitary group. And it's those people that are killing their own people in the uh, in the protest and the massacre. And it's. You know, a lot of these far right uh, kids with far right tendencies that they brought in and sucked in and trained in these paramilitary tactics. And then they brought them in undercover and dropped them into this so they could have like some kind of plausible deniability. Like it wasn't the police. It wasn't the military. It wasn't us. But it was trained by the government and by the CIA specifically to do this to massacre a bunch of students. Um, And it is a very um, traumatizing memory from people that grew up in mexico in this time period and it's depicting this childbirth in the middle of that event Mm. Jeez, you know what it's uh i mentioned it in the first half of the show you didn't see belfast right no (laughs) i am really glad i watched belfast before this movie because i mean it really feels like kenneth brana now that i've seen this was like yeah i'm gonna make my version of roma that <laughs> makes sense um, yeah and this movie is i liked belfast fine belfast has actually has music in it and is all set to like van morrison so it's a very different vibe um but i don't think i would have liked belfast anywhere near as much if i had seen this movie first because <laughs> um, it's set with it's very similar set with the yeah. um background of the troubles so yeah it's i kind um, of knew that about belfast and this is why i've kind of dragged my feet in going to watch it it says like sounds a lot like roma i don't know if it'll feel like a knockoff so that's why I, that's one of the yeah, main reasons i, I haven't gotten around would. to it yet it did i did like listen to van morrison for like three weeks after i watched belfast though i'm gonna have to get around to it um yeah very different but both are in black and white both are semi-autobiographical uh both are pretty artsy but i would say the cinematography in this movie worked a lot better for me than in belfast yeah oh oh, i want to add one more thing about this here yeah, yeah yeah they shot it on the same street where it happened um and that building that they're in is the building that the people went into and like shot people in that that um furniture building um Mm. and they went and got that and they rebuilt it the hospital that they go to is the same hospital which had been torn down but there were a couple parts of the building (gasps) that were still intact and so they just refurbished those parts of the building no Um, way yes so it is the same hospital that they filmed it in oh that is cool they rebuilt the streets so they would look photograph identical and this is one of the things they show in the making of is they show the photograph and then the film and they're the same it's wild and with a 15 million dollar budget too uh yeah so it's uh, they're very clear the the way that it's built and i don't know it's a i don't know how they filmed this scene though like because not only that but they're doing like these these one shots as they're going through the middle of it like as they're running through the city it's 
wild this i it's astounding yeah i I cannot i mean i watched how they did it and i don't know how they did it so (laughs) yeah it's Um, it's crazy so you get this scene where the unrest is happening where her water breaks and she sees the father of her child run in and shoot someone and then all of this is still in a lot of the same style of cinematography and you get pretty similar during the a few more cuts during the trip to the hospital where they're stuck in traffic because (laughs) all the shit's going down and then you get this really cool shot outside the hospital this is one of those ones that i was referring to where it seems like nothing's happening and then maybe three or four or five seconds after you've just been sitting there it's like oh there they are making their way through the crowd trying to get into the hospital or where they're at Um, the front desk it kind of does the same thing yep yeah exact same thing but then all of a sudden once she is in is actually getting attended to by the doctors you have a couple basically two oneers i think here with her in two different locations and all of a sudden it is like you get close up on Cleo and close up on her emotions and you, and all of a sudden Cleo takes the front seat while all of this action is going on behind her. And in the first shot where they're sort of like, they're trying to listen to the baby. This is before they like move her into surgery or into the surgical room. I'm not 100% sure what it's called. I think everything is in focus in that shot. Yeah. And again, this is like, especially on rewatch, once I knew that she was not an experienced actor, and I was like, I cannot believe they got these four and five minute shots with her where she, it's, it's just yeah. like, like pretend like you're birthing a child while all of this choreography is going on around you um just truly astonishing um but then what is so cool once she moves into surgery once she moves into birthing and um she has the stillborn baby and the you like see them take the baby and you see them be like it's not breathing and you see them administer cpr to this in the background kid in the background and i didn't notice on my first watch but on rewatch like all of it is slightly fuzzed out you get like she's the only one in clarity while all of this choreography all of this doctor doctorography is happening around her And it really was, so. as I said at the top, it was so successful in creating this emotion that had not been present for the entire movie. And just like, oh my God, I cannot believe she's going through this. Yeah. And I actually wasn't, by this point I had figured out that I was pretty sure we were watching something autobiographical, but I didn't know who was who. So I actually thought like the kid was going, was Alfonso Cuaron. And so I was like, I kept expecting it to work. And then like for them to get the baby to come back to life. And then when it didn't happen, I was legitimately shocked. Yeah. So uh, yeah, all of this was pretty 
successful <laughs> for me. It, it definitely works. Um, I do have some bad news to go along with it that might uh, affect how you view it. I don't know. We'll see. But I did want to say one thing that's really weird about it is that all the nurses and doctors that they got to play these parts are just nurses and doctors. No way. They got a real gynecologist to play in and come in and play the gynecologist. Um, no, that is that is banana when i was watching it i was like the only way they did this was because like even if she's a green actor they had experienced actors who were adept at learning this doctorography and delivering all these lines they're just that is that is insane and the way that they filmed it is he didn't at this scene he didn't block it he didn't he didn't figure all that stuff out. Instead, what he did is he talked to them and he's like, tell me what you need. Tell me what you go through. Show me this process and let's Mm. figure out where it goes. And so like they're almost directing the scene as they're building up to this and putting it all together. And he's uh, going through and talking to them. Okay. What would you do next in this situation? Let's figure out how we film that. Um, And so it's all just real hospital staff that they brought in and practiced. Okay. That makes it a little less surprising because then, yeah. Okay. That so, that makes me feel a little better about my acting training. Um and then on top of it they they the thing that they talked about is the doctors and the nurses they do trainings on video for these kinds of situations and then they'll watch the video this is part of their like education and they'll watch the video back and be like okay that's what you did right that's what you did wrong and all of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so it was basically like a training for so for them as they were talking about it they're like muscle memory just kicked in. And so they were just doing exactly what you would do in a normal delivery. Um, and I don't know. It's, it's wild that, that, that scene, I mean, that's why that scene looks so perfect is because. Yeah. It is. That, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. So then the one part that's like, I don't know, is a little bit more uncomfortable is during this movie, Alfonso Cuaron was doing this thing previously with the scenes with the, with the kids where as they were filming an in-between takes, he would go to the kids and tell them, hey, this isn't in the script. What I'm going to have you do is, like, as the scene is going on, like, throw the fork at this other kid that's your sister or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And he would just tell the one person what was going on, and everybody else didn't know what was happening. And for the kids, they were like, this is great, and they are playing around. But for Marina de Tavira, uh, the one that played the mom, Sofia, um, she said that it was the most difficult acting job that she'd ever done because she'd be like delivering her lines and someone would like smack the table and like shock her and, um, and all those kinds of things. So it was a very different kind of thing and it wasn't all straight off of a script and she had to react in those moments. And so, and there were so many things that she wasn't expecting and it creates this authenticity, but also like she's a trained actor. And I was having a discussion with a friend of the show, David, about this kind of leading up to it this idea of like not telling your actors withholding information from them in order to get a like an authentic reaction and so the reason why i bring this up here is uh he does this in the the delivery scene um oh the actress that plays cleo didn't know the baby was supposed to be stillborn um she thought that they were going to bring in a real baby and like put it into her arms um and so that's why that acting performance feels so real is because like it was uh and it was a very was it one they got this in the first it's one take take, it's the first take yeah 
Yikes. Um, and Oof, I don't like that. Yeah, I don't like that either, and it I didn't think you good. would. Yeah. So, and I don't really mind it for the other stuff, particularly with kids. You want to get genuine reactions. I how much. How, how much do you know about various like acting techniques and schools of thought? Not a ton, but I have recently read a bit more about them. So uh, I know a little bit more than I would have like a year ago. Yeah. So do you know who Meisner is? Yes. You know about the Meisner technique? Yeah. Yeah. So I had taken a Meisner class in, in high school, and it's not a technique that I'm particularly fond of. But the whole idea of it is training an actor to be fully present in a situation and to respond to whatever their partner is giving them 100% and fully. Um, Similar to your reaction here, yes, that is... I think that's adding a little more mystique than you should add to acting. Like, I think acting is fine to have a lot of... Personally, I think acting is fine to have a lot of craft especially when you're dealing with the real shit you know like yeah. the <laughs> especially trauma you don't always things. yeah yeah and you you shouldn't have to destroy yourself in order to do traumatic things in right. my opinion um for a lot of like high profile actors this is not the case there's a lot of like mythos that especially male actors there's a lot of mythos that goes into like the tortured male actor right um for for me like i feel like i would rather get a slightly less well acted scene and not have people traumatized yeah i i agree that's okay with me i'm i don't need to have everything be perfection the one thing that I will add on this is that the people involved with the film knew what they were getting into. He let them know that that would be kind of that he would be withholding information in order to get like using this technique. Yeah. So they were signed on to it. I feel like for the actress that plays Cleo, she's not going to understand what that means, though, if that if that makes sense. Right. She doesn't have the experience. She doesn't have and... the experience. Um, it's yeah. an incredible performance in that moment, and she does really well. And, I mean, she won an Oscar. Or not won. Well, she was nominated for an Oscar. She got nominated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think this performance in the scene is a big part of that, and it really is a brilliant scene. But I don't feel 100% comfortable with the, with the ethics of that. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so that not great. that made me that took me out of it once I saw that in in the film. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it, that's just my thoughts, uh, and I yeah. I wanted to bring that up because it changes the perspective dramatically on that. It does, yeah. So it does make me really impressed with those doctors, though. <laughs> those I think doctors, I did uh... see semi-related to this. They filmed the entire movie in chronological order yes they started from the beginning and, and yes, went correct. to the end which i think she said helped her a lot in her process yeah there are it's not a hundred percent there were a couple scenes that they filmed a little bit out of order but it's mm. oh, it's like 98 percent. yeah um should we talk about the last scene let's talk about the last scene oh this okay. scene oh this one made me cry so man this is yeah so the last scene we have i think if you've seen this movie 
I cannot imagine you would think we would do anything other than talk about this scene. But, of course, I want to talk about the beach scene, which is, I think, like a five and a half, six, six and a half minute oneer that takes place on the beach. It opens with a shot of the water and then it shows Cleo and the kids and the mom on the beach the kids uh the mom is gonna leave for a little bit and the kids are asking if they can go in the water because the it's still while they're gone and she's like yes but make sure you stay near the shore because cleo can't swim and so and this is all in one shot so the mom leaves the kids go into the water one of the kids runs back falls in the sand and cleo says here, I'll, I'll help you get cleaned up. And then this is where things like re- the heart rate really starts to ratchet up because you, the camera moves with Cleo and this kid as they walk through a puddle up the beach and she sits him down and starts toweling him off. But while they're doing this, the camera moves. And this is not something I picked up on my first viewing, but on my second viewing, I realized how much faster the camera was moving than it ever had at any other point in the movie. Yeah. And it creates this sense that just like everything is sort of unraveling. Yeah, disaster is about bit. to happen. Yeah. And so you see her like cleaning him off and then she's shouting to the kids in the water and it becomes clear that something is wrong. And so she in the middle of this this son also this kid also has a few lines about things that he's remembering from a previous life which is a little strange i do want to talk about that part of this movie yeah that part's a little bit weird yeah and then you get this again still all one shot you get this tracking shot of her running back down through the puddle into the water wading into the water the camera goes into the water and she is trying to find the kids and for the life of me i'm hoping you have some answers on this i do not understand how they got the camera to get these shots in the waves over the waves there are waves seemingly crashing in front of the camera but the camera never goes underwater and you see some kids bobbing in the water which again i don't know how they did this safely she gets the kids, brings them back to the beach. The mom, they sort of start coughing and uh, kneel down towards the puddle. Uh, the mom recognizes like, oh my, comes running in and is like, what happened? And they say, Cleo saved us. And they all hug each other. And Cleo finally gets the affirmation that she's been looking for as the mom says, we love you, Cleo, yeah. you know, we love you. And then, like, as if this weren't enough, the coup de gras of this shot is the tide coming in at the very end. Again, this is at the end of a five and a half minute, six and a half minute continuous shot and just, like, barely lapping their heels. And the sun is, like, perfectly placed in this shot And I just don't know how many... It is such a complicated shot, but you probably only get to do, like, two times to try and do it 
in a day because of the way the tide and the way the sun works so man the when (laughs) the first time i saw this i was just like there is no like how how yeah i mean well so they use magic no um it's that's what it seems like <sighs> i mean it seems like they got lucky like that that's, that's really the, that's what the right it seems answer like. um that's the right yeah. answer uh they did multiple takes of this but they kept the first one and that's what's in the movie <laughs> so <laughs> you, on rewatch you do notice at the end like a little of the acting does come across a little stilted yeah. like it does seem like you're getting a first take actor exhaustion rather than character exhaustion yeah but only on rewatch did i notice that because i was just too the wonder works like it emotionally it exhausted so me um yeah. so um what they did with this one is they had the camera on a rail and the rail goes off to the edge, uh, or it goes over to the side of the beach where Cleo drops off uh, Paco. And then the rail just moves. It's a fixed rail as it goes, and it goes off and extends into the water. And the camera is set up to where it's uh, about at her shoulder height. Uh, and then she goes below the shoulder height, but the camera stays level the entire way through there. And so they're moving the camera on the rail, and there's an operator on the camera moving that camera along as it's going. And so it's just moving on this rail back and forth between there. The waves are just the real waves that are coming in. and uh, Right, you can't choreograph the ocean. You can't choreograph the ocean. So they're just moving along there, and the, the waves are not like jumping in front of the camera. The way that they did the kids, and to make that one safe, this was incredible to me. They just have guys in wetsuits that are holding them, like, underneath and, like, throw them and swim away. And the camera isn't over quite far enough to see them. So they're, like, holding them under the water, and they just, like, throw them and swim away from away from the camera. Um, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> uh, they're there close by. So if the kids start to drown, they're there in wetsuits, and, like, it's they have, like, full gear. So they can it won't wouldn't be hard for them to rescue them but then um yalitza aparicio just drags the kids in from the water that part's not acted and like i have been a lifeguard and when you are in the water and it is slamming you like that and you're trying to pull someone in that is hard it is really, really hard. It is physically just exhausting and it is incredibly easy to like lose your footing and get pulled down under and suddenly you're drowning too. And she just pulls them in. Um, I mean, they're kids. They're smaller. She's strong. She's able to do it. But I don't know. That's, that shot is incredible. And like I said, they just got really lucky in, in how they put it together. So, Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have anything else to say about this scene other than it was so exhilarating the first time I saw it, like, and the second time, honestly, like both times I was yeah. just like, oh, this makes, this makes it make sense. This makes everything that we've gone through for this movie worth it. The other thing is they end up in like that pile where they're all hugging each other mm-hmm. and it's perfect. Like... It looks like a Renaissance painting. Um, yeah, it's so good. Like it's just in, it's incredible. The the cinematography. I mean, this is this is what it takes to win best cinematographer. I guess it's one of the best shot movies that I've ever seen, and is just you know, 
it's not even heavily storyboarded is the other thing that's wild to me it's he just thought up all the shots in his head and then told people how to do them um he just got it yeah yeah it (laughs) in our in our chat after i watched i was like i said yeah i'm pretty sure this i can't think of any movie that's better shot that we've covered on stream it and you responded and you were like yeah well, it is one of the best shot movies of all time, so that checks out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes it's sense. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, so, oh, one more thing about, like, how he got the scenes together in his head is his entire way that he built this movie is he didn't have a script for it. Um, mm. But what he did is he came up with a whole bunch of images that he remembered that were very clear to him from when he was a kid that just like stood out and he didn't remember the events like leading up to them and all that stuff. And so they put all the images in order and then they came up with a story to connect all the images. Like they, they figured out how to make the story, make those images connect all together. Um, that makes sense. I mean, the images are striking, so yeah. that that's not all that surprising. And the script isn't, I think it did actually get nominated for original screenplay, but yeah. the the dialogue is nothing special. Yeah, it's movie. a. I, I mean, I guess it's hard to tell because I'm subtitled. But I I enjoyed the dialogue a lot, but it's minimalistic. Yeah. So there's there's not a lot of it. And we didn't say, but there's no score for this movie, right? Yeah. There's a few places yeah. where there's uh, diegetic music. Yes. Uh, like the Jesus Christ Superstar song. Right, but otherwise. Yeah, there's there's not a score. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's so objective in the way that it's meant to meant to approach. He says this incredible thing in in the documentary where he says that he wanted to make a movie that you couldn't watch with your eyes closed, um, mm. which I found really striking. And he talked about as he explained it that you have a lot of this um, filming technique in Hollywood and in commercials and things like that, where you do like close up actor delivers their line, close up actor delivers their line and you're just really on their face and that you can just watch those scenes with your eyes closed and you know exactly what happened with them. Uh, and so he, or you to... can watch them while looking at your phone. Yeah. Which and... is probably the unsaid <laughs> right. thing there. And so what his goal was, was to make something where you had to be focused on the image um, in order to like that is the story and he says there's nothing wrong with that other way of making movies and i've done those kinds of things as well but i wanted to make this movie in a different way yeah so yeah Makes it sense. works really well yeah should we move into cleanup yeah i have a couple of things for cleanup um, i've got quite a bit yeah okay cool um so uh, i've got one first that i wanted to ask you though so Mm-hmm. With the subtitles, it was really weird for me because, so, it's in Spanish, but I speak Spanish. So, I was just listening, and I have my normal subtitles on, but I didn't really need them. And the script is simple enough that I was, and they speak so clearly in this film. Uh, their accents mm-hmm. are really easy to understand, so I had no problem. But then, the they br- break into the mixed tech language in parts of it. And suddenly, yes. I'm watching, and I'm like, wait, that's... That's not Spanish. And I'm having to read the subtitles. I'm like, what's going 
uh, and it took me a few seconds to realize, oh, there's that's the indigenous language that they're speaking in. And so I had this weird experience where I'm, uh, and right before they broke into the first uh, bit of uh, mixed tech language, I was like, oh, I wonder how Zach's going to feel about this with the subtitles and how our experience will be different. And then it went into the mixed tech and I'm like, oh, it feels exactly like that. Like, uh, I remember what it feels like to watch something in a different language with the subtitles. And it was uh, very weird to have that experience. So, I don't know. I'm curious uh, with the transition from the Spanish to the mixed tech and all of those things, uh, what that did for you as well. I mean, orally, I couldn't tell a difference, but they did format the um, subtitles differently. I think they were bracketed. Yes. If they were not in Spanish. So, intellectually, I knew. But other than that, it had no effect on me yeah it's so it's so fascinating like he really wanted those parts in mixed tech and the actors basically wrote the that dialogue like he told them kind of what he was thinking oh, cool. and they they came up with it like that's that's their dialogue there's oh, not nice. a script for it yeah so i don't um, know it's really cool I, I really enjoyed that i'm really glad he, that he put so much mixed tech in there and yeah it was nice yeah it's really good even as someone who it was just an intellectual exercise for it was nice it felt authentic excellent uh, what have you got um oh yeah so there's this uh, scene where she where you see like their zen master showing them oh, how man. that he can close his eyes and uh professor zovek on one leg yeah yeah and no one else can do it except cleo yeah did you try doing it? Uh, no, I didn't try it. <laughs> did you? Oh, I I did, yeah. Yeah. I was more successful than almost everyone on camera, but not successful as Cleo. <laughs> I was able to nice. able to hold it for like four or five seconds. Nice, very good. Yeah, I mean Cleo just does it masterfully. It's great. Um Yeah. yeah. What a hero. Professor Zovek, based on a real guy, and you can go like watch YouTube videos of him doing his stuff and whatnot. Not from then, but they've been uploaded of him doing all that stuff. But the guy that's performing is Professor Zovek. Can you guess his name? You'll never be able to guess his name, but it's just... It's, I cannot. It's not a name. He's a professional wrestler. Oh. His code name, his wrestler name is Latin Lover. <laughs> so that is the name he goes by. If you want to, That is what he is credited as in this film, is Latin Lover. I love that. Yeah, it's great. Uh, do you want to go? Do you have more stuff? Yeah. I think so, I have two more things. So one of the things that was interesting, the, the car that they have such a hard time getting in, I looked yeah. up the stuff on this one. It is a 1970 Ford Galaxy, which uh, mm. you may be like, hmm, I've never heard of that car before. And no one has because it is, huh. you know, not a very popular car. It just sucked. Like it was just a terrible car. Um, oh, really? Ford was trying to like make like a muscle car kind of thing that they were going with. And unfortunately, it was very bad at that. Like it was very big, but also had no speed and no acceleration. So practically, it's a terrible car to drive that has no power. It has no speed. And it's really huge and gigantic. And it's expensive with like the leather interiors. And so they didn't make it for very long. And most of the cars that they made of this, they just shipped off to Mexico because um, nobody would buy them. Um, and so that's mm -hmm. why you have this in here. But the whole idea is it's like a massively impractical car that like no one should ever own. And he wants it for <laughs> just like the looks of it and like the this like prestige that he's got in his mind that he's getting from it. And 
I don't know, um, that moment where she drives in and rips uh, like the sides <laughs> off of the of the wall, or when she's pulling in between those two cars and it rips the car to shreds. Oh, so great, so cathartic. I will say this was this was maybe my only bump of the movie was that car gets ripped up and then all of a sudden it's just fixed after that. Yeah. And uh it's because it's like months was... later and they took it into the shop, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I could have used maybe just a line to to say something because I was like, wait, what? That what was strange to it's me. It's very strange. So um Yo, how I'm hoping you have an answer here for me on this. How did they film that fire scene? Oh, I saw this one and, and, and so I know the answer, but I can't remember it very well. Um, it looked like real woods were set on fire. They didn't really light the woods on fire. Um, okay. But they did have like controlled fires that they were shooting. I can't remember. I don't want to give an answer, but it is in the documentary. So if you want to see, you can go through that documentary and they do show how that scene is shot. So uh, that scene also is very strange because they stop in the middle of it and have a, guy, a Norwegian guy sing an entire song. Well, Oh, that's right. Down. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. And he's seen like, I don't know, some old Viking song or something. Well, I was too busy wondering about, how the hell they they <laughs> caught those fires yeah i don't know that one that one was like 60 takes or something so Gee, I, it's not surprising yeah it seemed really complicated so yeah they that one was a ton over and over and over again but so it's such a weird scene too and it's one of those things where it's like he just remembers this specific detail from his childhood and like in in with the fire going on and some norwegian guy singing and so that's why it's in there is he's like that's I, I, listen i don't know how to explain it but i remember it and so i'm putting it in the movie i fair enough yeah i don't know it's great so um uh, how much more do you have i have two more things um i have just one more thing um okay. so let's have you go first and then i'll do one and then you do the last so what do what do you make of this because unfortunately, I think it only happens twice of this idea of one of the kids having like a past memory of their past life. Oh, that's so weird. I don't know. <laughs> Is it again? I mean, I guess if it happened three times, it would be a little, a little more palatable to me. I assume it's just something real that he remembers from his childhood. Yeah, just like some remember thing that he remembered saying. And it's him. Yeah. It's the same kid twice. That That's him. Yeah. So, and that kid is supposed to be him. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have any... It's just weird. Probably and, some connection with, like, telling stories and a connection to history and something like that. I wonder if there's Telling things, stories of the past. I wonder if there's things from other movies he's made. I don't think so. I don't think that's it. I think they're just things he remembers saying as a kid. Maybe, yeah. Just a way to show that he was a little different as a kid or a little distanced, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's probably why he put it in. He's like, this is normal. Everybody does this, right? So, and you're like, not, yeah. not, not everybody, actually. That's that's a you thing. So, yeah, I don't know. So, I don't know if you remember, like, the last shot of the movie and what it does at the very end. Um, 
but uh, it ends on an airplane. Yes, right? it ends on an airplane the same way as at the beginning. But the difference is, is now the camera is pointed up at the sky instead of out the mm, ground. Yeah. And there's not a lot to say about that, but they're basically uh, taking what the first shot did and then uh, reversing it and pointing up at the sky. Like uh, at this point, you're seen up at the sky and you don't have the just the reflection that's going on underneath um, and this like exploration of memory. The other thing that I find fascinating with the airplane is he talked about it as airplanes are artificial. Um, like they don't belong in the sky. They're just things that people built and then we throw them up there. But also an airplane is always people leaving or coming from someplace distant or like some, some other place, some foreign place. Um, yeah, I mean, it. outside of his character, the airplane seemed to me to signify, like, Cleo wanting an escape and yeah. her being trapped, which I think probably also maps onto him as a kid. Let me read the quote that I wrote down that he said. He says, airplanes okay. are in the sky, but they don't belong to the sky. So, I don't know. It's an interesting mm-hmm. quote. I mean, it's sort of like Cleo, right? She's yeah. in the family, but she doesn't belong to the family. Until kind of the very end. Until and, the end. And only yeah. sort of. And yeah, I don't know. It's, that's interesting. So what's your last thing that you had? Uh, this is a really deep one. So maybe yes. I shouldn't have saved it till the end. But do we have some real life goose sacks on, on screen? Oh, man, I didn't notice. Uh, does that happen? I think so. Yeah, I think. I think there was a shot where there 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 were geeses, a little geese sex. <laughs> I mean, I assume it's real. <laughs> I don't know. I my assumption was it just happened to happen on camera, and they're like, "Oh, that's great." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got to keep that take. I assume so. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like I doubt they choreographed it. Like, uh, I'm. I can't imagine. It sounds like I mean, the kind of thing that like... just happened. And they're like, "Well, you know." When the magic Yahtzee. happens, the magic happens. Yeah. Sometimes you just get lucky. <laughs> like those geese did. Like the geese did. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that's probably as good a place to end as any. Sure. As always, we would love to hear from you. Uh, Matt is a lot less active on Twitter. I mean, if you if you tweeted him. He will still see it, but probably at this point, the best way to get in touch with us is to uh, shoot us an email at podcaststreamit, just those three words, at gmail.com. Yes. Uh, Matt, you've also been blogging your movies a bit now, so I, I can update the show notes to include that link. Yeah, and um, for, like, I don't know, I'm basically not really doing social media at this point, and I like to do social media a lot, so if it, you know, turns around and I end up doing it, that sounds great, but I've kind of decided on my social media home as just being, uh, you know, my own blog where I can just post uh, my thoughts about things, and so I've been talking about movie the movies I've been watching mainly uh, on there, and I don't know, I'm writing them, like, informally, like I would a social media post, but just t- t- tossing it on there, so I don't know, give it a look, it's a... Uh, it doesn't hurt my feelings if it doesn't get a lot of traffic, but if you go over, sure, that sounds great. Yeah. And then uh, I mentioned, I don't know how many people listen to our little intermediary show, but 
in we will be recording probably hopefully assuming everything goes correctly it'll be in between season five and season six we'll have a little 2022 wrap-up that'll come out uh right before the oscars so that'll be we'll go over our top tens maybe do uh, a few streamies give give a few awards we haven't really hammered out exactly what what the format of that will be but chance to talk about the movies from 2022 that we watched that we enjoyed maybe some that we didn't enjoy and yeah get get in the oscar spirit and i, I guess what i mean by oscar spirit a way to celebrate the year's worth of movies in a way that feels personal to us. Yes. So <laughs> we'll we'll have a little preview of that next week because we're doing RRR, which of course is a Tollywood film and a film from India from 2022. And uh, yes, I am hyped for this one. I almost started watching it because I was just so <laughs> excited to rewatch it. But then I was like, no, I better wait to record Roma first. Nice. I, I did and watch so, it. Um and because I had to fit it in during uh, before the end of the year, but also uh, while well, I still had time to get to get a bunch of movies in, so uh, I'm excited. Yeah. I have lots and lots to say about RRR. Yeah, that that might end up being our longest episode because it is our longest movie. <laughs> I guess we'll see. We'll yeah, see. We'll, we'll see, see how that goes. Yeah. But yeah, so we will talk to you next week for RRR. Bye. Bye. Yeah. So you you get this scene, you know, the the unrest that's happening, um the violence that's happening. Sorry, I'll wait till the police sirens in the background. Mm-hmm. I guess it is atmospheric. Maybe we should have just left it. <laughs> that's okay.